It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because This Might Get Uncomfortable starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. One thing that I really like to do is to look at Google Analytics for our show notes, which is at podcast.wellevator.com for anyone who hasn't visited them yet. And we have Google Analytics set up. Although, a little side note, I really would like to try Fathom Analytics, which was created by one of our previous guests, Paul Jarvis. And part of that, if you go back and listen to that episode, which we will link to, speaking of the show notes, we'll link to it there. So this is a good opportunity to go to our website, which is wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R, because every single episode of this podcast has show notes. And whenever we reference something, you'll be able to easily find it there. So Paul Jarvis came on our show and talked a lot about data privacy and his work on as an online entrepreneur. And Fathom Analytics is one of his many offerings to the world as an alternative to Google Analytics. So we may switch over to that. But one thing I don't know yet is if we'll be able to see things like search queries. And that's part of the topic today, which is the interesting things I've found <laughs> that have led people to our website and our podcast. And it is incredibly fascinating because just seeing why somebody is coming to the podcast or your website and then what topics are trending, what people are most interested in is fascinating to me. And so I've been tracking those topics just to bring up some things. And some things are super interesting. Some things are really funny. And I think we'll have to start with some of those because Jason hasn't seen any of this. And I feel like you would get a really big kick out of this. So are you curious what has come up in in our analytics reports, Jason? I am. Can I tell a quick story before we jump in? Of course. Okay. So when you talk about search analytics and search history, and, and I am super interested to hear what you're going to share, it reminded me of a show at Upright Citizens Brigade. And for anybody that doesn't know what Upright Citizens Brigade is, it's a improvisational comedy school and theater. They have two locations in Los Angeles, and it kind of grew out of that improv comedy boom that most people attribute to Chicago with Second City and a lot of the Saturday Night Live alumni and all of that came out of there. Anyway, UCB is super popular in LA. They've been closed with the pandemic. But prior to that, I had been to two or three shows of a theme show they had there called Search History. And I went there and what they do is they pick a person from the audience, the improv comedy troupe, bring them on stage. They look at the search history in their browser and then they make up a whole like half hour to hour sketch, comedy sketch, improvised based on the crazy shit. And I mean, the shit that is in people's search history is absolutely fascinating. So I just wanted to, to say that if anyone's ever in LA and when and if things resume in a regular capacity... If you see search history at UCB, go see it because it's unbelievably entertaining. Well, that reminds me of two other things. One is that you, Jason, were in that wonderful production multiple times that our friend Jill directs. And 
It's based on Craigslist. <laughs> and hold on, I'm, it's on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> it's not like personal connections. It's missed connections. Missed connection. <laughs> so Jason was in this amazing series. And again, since we're still in this time of COVID, who knows when this will happen again. But our good friend Jill directs this wonderful series. And she works at this theater in general doing a lot of different productions. But Jason has been a member of this group. And what they do is read these misconnections, these real misconnections that are posted on Craigslist. And along with a few other people, Jason acts out these stories, basically. Do you want to share more about that experience? I feel like that's such a good little thing that people don't really know about you publicly. Like you don't talk about misconnections very much, but you really seem to enjoy doing it. Yeah, this is an aspect, I suppose, of my personal artistic history that a lot of people don't know about, which is that I did theater and acting. And we, we talk a lot about the TV series, which was actually kind of a scripted comedy meets cooking show. So we actually did have scripts and I had to learn lines for the TV series. I don't know if people know that, but How to Live to 100 was partly a scripted comedy series. But beyond that, I've done a lot of theater in the past. I've done improv at Second City in Chicago and Columbia, where I graduated from. So I actually have an acting history as well. So when our friend Jill Johnson, who is one of the artistic directors at Stages Theater in Orange County, it's in Fullerton, near downtown Fullerton. I met her through our mutual friend Ross. And she was like, hey, I want you to invite you to come and do this production. And I was like, what is it? Misconnections. And I had known that from Craigslist, because if you want to see the most fascinating stuff, I mean, just unbelievably fascinating glimpses into humanity's psyche, missed connections on Craigslist has people talking about people they saw in a crowd, people they saw on a subway, people they saw in the grocery store. It's fascinating. Not only does she do that, though, she gets into the classified section with stuff for sale. So it's not just the misconnections portion of Craigslist. <laughs> it's also people posting crazy ass shit, which before we started the podcast, Whitney was telling me she's got a few things for sale on Facebook Marketplace. And that's a whole nother fascinating glimpse into human psychology when people are trying to buy things. Anyway, misconnections. I did it two or three times and we usually do it right before the holidays. So fingers crossed, praying to the theater gods, the gods of thespianism, that if COVID decides to die the fuck down, maybe we can do another holiday edition because that's when we've done it the last two to three years, right before Christmas and Hanukkah and all that in December. So fingers crossed, we do another misconnections because it's epic. It really is epic. And it's nice to see you in that creative expression. And it's also great for a good laugh, which we can certainly use it. And speaking of which, your mention of UCB reminded me of a show that I saw at the Groundlings. And that was my one and only time going. And it was great because it was this show that they did regularly. And again, hopefully they do again in the future called Black Version. And it's not exactly related to the two topics, but it reminded me of it because they would pull ideas from the audience, which I think is such a fun way to do a performance and just make people feel like they're involved with things and and just feeling the energy of an audience. And, and actually, that really goes along with the theme today because we're going to be pulling things that people have searched online and maybe answering some questions. <laughs> we could almost make this like an FAQ type of thing, like frequently asked queries. Ooh, maybe that should be the title of this. Oh, <laughs> frequently asked queries. Mm. Huh, a study into our audience's psychological profile. <laughs> exactly. 
Hmm. (laughs) Or our future audience, right? Because part of what's fascinating about Google Analytics is you can see what people search for and you can see whether or not you show up as an impression versus a click. So for example, you could show up on the Google search page, but people might not necessarily click on your website. So I'm fascinated after we do this episode to then do the analytics based on this episode, which is very meta, and just see like what things let got people to our, our site. And it's just fascinating, but it's also a great way to see what people are interested in. Anyways, back to the black version, which I think is actually a very important type of art because it certainly rose my awareness. And I saw this performance, I think, in December 2019. So not only was that before COVID, but that was months before the Black Lives Matter boom that we're in right now, for lack of a better term. We're, we're in a time where the movement is really, really strong and there's a lot of attention to it. And gosh, if, if COVID wasn't happening, this would be like the perfect show to go to because it was very funny. But it was also a good reminder of how Black people are represented in the media. And so what they would do, the concept of of the show at the Groundlings was that the audience would suggest a title of a popular film, and then they would cast an all-Black set of actors and do and improvise the Black version of this movie. So the one that I saw was a Black version of You've Got Mail. (laughs) Oh my God, you've got mail. (laughs) This is the thing, like the audience shouts out random movies and then the director of the black version will pick whatever one sounds most appealing for whatever reason. Or or maybe we vote for it, I forget. But it was interesting because you've got mail. First of all, like the main characters are Tom Hanks and... Meg Ryan. Thank you. Yes, and I think Rob Reiner might have been in... Was he in that? But there's a variety of white actors, and I don't recall there being anybody of color. And so the Black version is an entirely Black cast. And again, it's reminding you how there's a lot of stereotypes as well. And so oftentimes, at least in the past... Black actors would be cast in various stereotypical roles, or they would be very minor characters. And so it was especially fascinating to to see an all-Black cast version of You've Got Mail. And then they kind of dove into some stereotypes, but I felt like it was fascinating because they're actual Black actors playing, right? So they're kind of like giving into the stereotypes, but also like hey, guys, like, this is the stereotype, but maybe that's not a great thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, they're kind of like making fun of the white stereotypical black hair, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? For sure. And so it kind of was an interesting way to raise awareness. I don't think that that was necessarily the reason for it, but it was pointing out racism in a really interesting way. And also giving these amazing actors the opportunity to play these roles that they might not have been cast in because of Hollywood politics, at least in the past. So it was really fascinating. And the audience would chime in in various ways. And I loved it. I would I would go back to see that in a heartbeat. And just hearing you talk about UCB reminded me of that, too. I have some random thoughts that I want to dive into because it feels like we're having a really fun intellectual tennis match right now. Sure. (laughs) So two things. I, for the life of me, always in some capacity thematically mix up When Harry Met Sally, Sleepless in Seattle, and You've Got Mail. 
Well, they're, I mean, they're all Meg Ryan movies. Okay, so that was the Meg Ryan boom of the 90s and early aughts, right? She dominated. But when Harry Met Sally was Billy Crystal, You've Got Mail was Tom Hanks. Who was the male lead in Sleepless in Seattle? Also Tom Hanks? Yes, exactly. So You've Got Mail was like the... Sequel? No, it wasn't a sequel by any means, but But it was like... They were different characters, though. It was kind of like, hey, everybody loved Sleepless in Seattle. Let's do another movie just like it. Oh, God. Oh, God. But they were all great movies. And first of all, Rob Reiner, he I almost positive was in Sleepless in Seattle, but I know he directed When Harry Met Sally. And for another little trivia, I don't I don't know if I've mentioned this, but I, I worked for Rob Reiner's family for a number of years. And I just always have such fond feelings for him because he's a great guy, personally and professionally. And his career continues to be incredibly impressive. I mean, he's whether he's acting or directing or producing, he's doing so much great work. And yeah, I mean, those movies are just feel-good movies. And I'm so grateful that they're around. And I feel like we don't get a lot of films like that these days. And I kind of wonder why. I don't know if it's like nostalgia, like nothing will ever seem as good as the movies from the past, or they don't make them like they used to type of a, a sentiment. I'm trying to think as if there is a... An epic rom-com of the last decade that equals yeah. those things. I don't know. I feel, I, I feel like the rom-com genre, I feel like it peaked in the 80s and 90s, personally. Well, there's got to be something. I think we're just not thinking of it. It's easier to think of movies like we just referenced simply because... They're more generational for us, you yeah, and I. Yeah, right, and right. they've been reinforced. You know, like it's like Love Actually is another one of those movies where... True that. It's on TV a lot or people talk about it a lot and... Maybe the more current movies haven't had a chance at it and we're just completely forgetting about them. And partially because you prefer to watch movies like Avengers and Star Wars, Jason. (laughs) You don't watch as many rom-com. Also, rom-com has changed a lot over time with like Netflix and other platforms like that where there's a lot of rom-coms on Netflix and Lifetime style movies are now becoming popular on Netflix, which is fascinating. And like the Christmas time films out there, well, there'll be like all these cheesy romance films that are all basically the same, but people watch them because it makes them feel good. In terms of the more recent rom-coms, I would like to say that I actually really enjoy, you know, people poo-poo him, but people poo-poo everyone who's successful. We, we get into the psychology of that if we want, but I really liked in the aughts the series of movies that Zach Braff directed and came out with. Sure. You know, the movies, what was, what was the one with Natalie Portman where he went <laughs> back know. and I'm blanking on the name. Why am I blanking on that too? I know exactly what you mean. The music comes to mind more vividly than the actual yeah. title of that movie. Because the soundtrack was dope. Yeah. Oh, Garden State. Garden yes, State. Yes, yes, yes. I yep. love that movie. I, I, love, movie. I love the Zach Braff duo or trifecta in the aughts between 2010 and 20, or I'm sorry, before that, because that was like 04 when Garden State came out, 05. And I just looked it up. You and I saw one of the movies that comes up more recently, which is Yesterday. We saw that together in the theater. Oh, Yesterday was sweet. I liked Yesterday. I don't really think of that as a rom-com, though, do you? I don't either, and no. But in terms of like alternative romance stories, I thought Baby Driver was dope, too. Yeah. I like Baby Driver. No, there's something about that I wasn't that into. Soundtrack. Soundtrack was dope. Like uh-huh. movies with great soundtracks, I'm a sucker for. Like if we go back to Garden State for a second, and you know Whitney, the listener may not know, but I, I'm, I'm just a music junkie. I'm like a music aficionado. And I remember the one band on that Garden State soundtrack that I'd never heard of was The Shins. Right, right. That kind of made their career. 
Totally. And I was like, who's the shins? And then, you know, of course that is featured prominently in the movie. And then you dive down that rabbit hole. And that's one of the best things I love about really well curated soundtracks is they'll bring bands and music to you never heard of. And then you go down those great rabbit holes of artists you've never explored before. For sure. Yeah, well, we didn't expect to go down this rabbit hole, did we? Crazy Rich Asians also falls into that category, which I thought was a phenomenal movie. That was a really good feel. I didn't see it. If you haven't seen it, Jason and anyone else is listening. That's like, if you're listening to this episode right now and like craving a rom-com, that's a phenomenal movie. And it's one of those movies that you kind of want to watch again for the first time because it was that good. So also, I'm just looking at this list and then we'll get back on my original (laughs) trend here, which was about the queries. But another movie that was great is called About Time. And that was from the director of Love Actually. And it also stars... Rachel McAdams. And then she's like part of one of the greatest rom-coms of all time, which is The Notebook. So we can't forget that. I mean, would you consider that a comedy? Okay, maybe not. I mean, that was a pretty (laughs) emotionally heavy film. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, I don't know about the com part. The rom, (laughs) yes. The com, uh. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> it, had, it had its moments. Yeah, it did. But I don't know that you would subjugate it to that format of like slapstick jokes and dad jokes and ha-ha, rom-com stuff. And anyway, there's kind of a formula to rom-com. Not every that's single rom-com true. movie, but there's a formula. All right. I wanted to l- lunge a guest, Whitney, as we dive and back into the thought. I'm just going to give a quick shout out to Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids was, was good. Really Bridesmaids great. was good. One of the best. Speaking of romance, I want to volley a guess before you dive into the search terms and the analytics and the queries that people are using to find Wellevator, and this might get uncomfortable. Seeing that lately, we have seen a tremendous spike in downloads and listens based on our relationship-themed episodes, one of which with Jason Green, a phenomenal guest, really gets into attachment styles. We've seen a really great spike in terms of our episodes regarding ideal relationships. And I was joking with Whitney a few days ago, like, are we going to rebrand ourselves as relationship experts? Which it's not in the plans. It's not in the plans. But And we don't use the term experts anyways. I know. And that's why it's a double joke. That's why it's a double joke. Because I feel it is interesting, though, that being the fact that we have a very broad spectrum of topics we cover around wellness and self-care, mental and emotional wellness, and of course, how to deal with the ups and downs of life as a human being on this planet, it does broaden itself to things like the intricacy and intimacy of human relationships. So I am volleying a guess, Whitney, that a high number of queries or the search terms are going to skew toward some relationship stuff. So by all means, dive in. I'm just throwing a guess out there. I actually have not found that to be true, believe it or not. There were a couple examples, so we can start off with some of the fun. I feel like the funny queries that I've come across have. I mean, certainly the term ideal relationship is one of the biggest drivers to her website, but we already knew that. That's nothing new. Aside from that, I can't say I've found that much more, but I'll I'll share with you. (laughs) We've had a couple like R-rated queries. What? Oh yeah. Like there's a couple like things I'm not gonna say on air. Even (laughs) though stop it. Stop it, Whitney. Our show is marked as explicit. I just feel like we don't need to get into that territory. Are they sexually explicit? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> what in the hell? Okay, wow. I'll, I'll just be general. Because like one, maybe maybe not going toward an NC seventeen. Keep it R and not well, NC seventeen. I wouldn't say any of them are <laughs> NC seventeen, but people then are fuck searching. It. <laughs> fuck it. I don't even have them in front of me, Jason. There's too <laughs> many. I mean, like literally thousands. Ah, <laughs> of- what? Queries <laughs> that I have to go through, but. 
I just recall there were a number of them that were... Eyebrow razors? Like, <laughs> yes. mm. Likely okay. related to... <laughs> Likely related to pornography, like they're searching for a specific video and somehow our podcast comes up as a recommendation. How? I don't understand how. This is what's really fascinating about Google searches is that it's all about the combination of words. So somehow, like if we say one word out loud, like it it can be related to some other search term and maybe there aren't a lot of results for that search term. So we end up popping up or somebody's really going deep into Google and looking for all the different options. So that's super fascinating. Like, oh, one more light example of that is the search term beautiful plump women. Wait, what? Yeah. That led them to our site. Again, our site comes up as a recommendation. Like that doesn't necessarily lead them to our site, if that makes sense. It's like our site pops up in Google search results. How this might work on an SEO standpoint. Are you ready for this? Okay. So we've talked about beauty with Sunny. We've talked about beauty standards in some previous episodes that we brought up of the, the beauty standards that were subjected to between, you know, men and women. But also it's I mentioned the word plump in the sunny episode, Whitney, when I was talking about like the beauty care products that I use, it's like I mentioned like plump skin. So I'm sure that on some level, (laughs) beauty got pulled, women got pulled. And because I specifically mentioned the word plump, (laughs) it might have pulled from all three. A hundred percent. I think that's what happens. So that's what's fascinating. Another one, which you wouldn't get, Jason, this is <laughs> this is a TikTok phrase. So I, I recognized it, but I have no idea. Like, where did this even come? Like, what did we say that made Google say, hey, you might be able to find what you're looking for on this website? The phrase, damn boy, that's a thick ass boy. That's an audio clip that's popular on TikTok. And I don't know why, but I guess we said some combinations of words that led people. Hmm. Maybe we should start skewing the podcast and actually saying phrases from really popular songs and seeing that if that's just a driver <laughs> to our podcast. Like, Go ahead and give it a try. This episode can be our... Exp- well, what about uh, Here Comes a Hot Stepper that we're <laughs> listening How to? How many people are searching for Eni Kamozi? Here comes the hot stepper. <laughs> I'm the run the gangster. I guess we're going to find out. Nah, 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 nah. You're welcome, listener. In case that wasn't in your head, I just changed the course of your next 24 hours. You're welcome. And I'm partially responsible for that too because I sent that song to Jason before we started recording because I I thought that was like a good like hype song, kind of like we love Usher's song, yeah, and that's like our ultimate hype song when something goes really well. Jason and I will send each other a GIF. Do you call it a GIF or a GIF, by the way, Jason? I call it a GIF because when I say GIF, it reminds me of Jiffy peanut butter. And I don't (laughs) want to think about that. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like that saying GIF. That just sounds GIF. I don't know. It feels better for that. So and then what do we sing to each other when uh, the Usher song comes up? Oh, we do the boop, beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, beep, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do you even remember how that song became our hype song? No idea. I do not know the origin story, but it has stuck for years. It's not even just our hype song. It is our 
like celebration song. When something goes really well, that's the song that Jason and I like to play. Remember when I got my, I think, was it my Tesla? No. Yeah. 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 You put, yeah. You was did. Was it my Tesla or it could have been my Fiat? Jason. It was both, fool. It was. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is how long. That has been with us. And by the way, a Whitney as a term of endearment, we call each other fool in case anyone was like, I can't believe he talked down to Whitney there. It's a term of endearment. So we call each other fool. Like, come on, fool. Anyway, glimpse into our best friendship. But yeah, anytime there's been a major win in our relationships, business-wise, doing really well on a launch, something really that we've been wanting for a long time manifests or comes into our life. That is the celebratory hype song. It's the one that's, we've been doing that for like six, seven years now. I really hope that when we meet Usher, it is A, together, and B, maybe he'd be on the podcast, and C, that he would like indulge us for loving that. Like, you know what's the worst is when you meet somebody that you really admire and you build it up so much, and then they just could care less about your admiration for them and the role that they've played in your life. Like, at least pretend. But, But like, can you imagine if Usher was like really like... Well, I don't even know. How Completely nonchalant and unaffected by our appreciation. Oh, God, that would ruin me. Then I would regret ever meeting him at all. But I'm hoping that when the day comes, because it will come, it's a manifestation thing. It's only a matter of time. I hope that he's like a really cool person and maybe he'd like sing the song for us and we'd have our own personal version of Yeah by Usher that we could play or something. I don't know. Or maybe he would do a new intro and outro song for the podcast. (laughs) Hashtag dream big, motherfuckers. Hashtag dream big. Imagine if we got Usher (laughs) to record (laughs) the theme song for this might get uncomfortable. (laughs) I need to do an impression of it. It'd have to be like, it'd have to be a hype song. It couldn't be like an R&B love song, right? It'd have to be like, are you ready? Whoa, 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 whoa. This might get uncomfortable. So put your floaties on because we're going in the deep end. I thought you were going to go deep end. Like a deep really high end. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, get, get uncomfortable. <laughs> With your host, Jason Robel and Whitney Lawrenson. It's kind of like when, I don't know if they still do this, they probably still do, but you know, when I was growing up listening to the radio and they would like bring on Britney Spears and they would make her like do a little thing like you're listening to Kiss F, you know, like whatever radio radio promo. Yeah. Oh yeah. They'd have to like sing part of their song as like the lead in. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Do they still do that? Oh baby, baby, you're listening to Kiss FM. Exactly. Yeah, right, right, right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yep. And I've also had to do that in a couple of times that I've worked a red carpet. I had to ask the people that I was interviewing to do like one of the shout outs, like, you're watching Dog News Daily. That's literally the name of a, a publication <laughs> I used to work for. Stop it was it. called Dog News Daily. I wonder if it still exists. And people oh, would yeah. say it with a straight face. Oh, yeah. With a straight face. Like not even, no one ever cracked up saying it like mid promo because I would probably have to fight back laughter. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I actually, I did some interesting interviews on the red carpet for Dog News Daily. And, and you know who the best one was? And this was like, how the hell did this happen? I got to go to, I've told you this, Jason, but as a reminder, I got to go interview Stan Lee in his office. Yeah, you told me, and I was pretty slack-jawed. 
I was pretty slack-jawed. I will put that in the show notes as an encouragement to anyone listening to, you can see that clip. You don't see me on camera at all because they just recorded him, but he talks about his dogs, which is actually really sweet. He was like the nicest guy speaking. You know, this is like a perfect example. If, if Usher had treated me or will treat us the way Stan Lee treated me back then, he's being recorded for some tiny ass dog related website, but he treated it like he was being interviewed by the Hollywood reporter. He was so kind, considerate. Gosh, what an amazing person. That is a beautiful, beautiful thing when somebody is respectful no matter who they're talking to versus there have been other times where I was on the red carpet and met some celebrities or people I admired who just didn't want to give me the time of day because they didn't know who I was or they didn't care about whatever publication I was working for. And I find that really fascinating. Even people that I thought were like very spiritual and mindful have not shown up and been very pleasant or kind in those situations. So, Well, it's a mixed bag because I feel like you can never judge someone based on one interaction. I think we talked about that the other day of the pressure that celebrities and people in the media spotlight are under. And it's not to give them a hard pass if they're assholes, but you also have to realize they're human and who the hell knows what's going on. Trying not to take it personally, I guess, is my point, you know? Well, let's dive back into the query, shall we? Yes, this has been long awaited. I feel like I've been I've been tantalized and we've gone on many divergent paths as we do here on This Might Get Uncomfortable. So let's go. Put the floaties on. Let's do it. Well, another one, like this one, I feel like you're really going to appreciate. This is something I could see you Googling, Jason. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> that could go down a whole bunch of different roads. Going back to potentially R-rated Google searches. <laughs> oh, great. This one was, I got a good laugh at. Somebody searched for, sit on my face and glaze me like a donut. <laughs> when, did we, when did we talk about donuts? When did we talk about face sitting? What in the hell? Like now I'm trying to, as you're mentioning each one of these, I'm trying to remember if there's any SEO, if there's any textual textual basis for these sexual searches. <laughs> uh, what? I'm sure we talked about donuts, let's be honest. But face sitting, sit on my face and glaze me like a donut. That, wow. I'm going to look it up right now and see where we come up on this search. I guess it's like Are a we card? page one? Are we page one? I doubt it. If we're page it. one, I'm going to flip. No, it's mostly like cards and merchandise that you can get. Let's see. I don't I don't know what page we're on. Hold on. I'm going to try typing in Wellevator after it and see what comes up here. I don't know. I'd have to I have to dig further. This is not something I've done yet, but uh, I will definitely see where we because what's also cool about Google Analytics is that you can see where you rank on the page. And so like how far somebody would have to go to come across your site. So I'm, I'm having to go back pretty far to find where we are. I mean, the fact that we are trending on a couple of very specific kinks, beautiful plump women and face sitting so you can glaze me like a like this is a level of nuance and specificity, folks. Oh, I'm telling you, it gets even stranger. Oh, oh and, God. And not to oh, judge. God. No, I, I'm just I just fascinated. wish I knew what were they looking for and why 
in the world did we come up as a suggestion? I mean, it's pretty far back. I'm going like, I'm in like page 11 of search results right now. And maybe we're not even on there anymore. But now I'm so curious. What did we say? I don't know, but I'm fascinated to see where else you what else you're going to pull from the search queries. Good God. I left out a lot of the R rated. So, you know, I, I really feel like this could be an ongoing theme of our episodes. Like maybe at the end of every episode, I bring up the like most recent Google search term. And that way people will stick around to the end of every episode because they want to hear what we talk about. So that's a great idea. And in this week's crazy search terms, (laughs) number five, (laughs) number four. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The other one that I thought was funny on the sex or relationship trend is uh, somebody was searching for the origin of zaddy. Which makes complete sense because we did talk about Zaddy. Who are we talking with? That was a solo episode, I believe. No, I think we talked about Zaddy with, with Sonny. J- no, or Jason Green, but that episode hasn't come out yet. So there's oh, going to no. be a lot of information about Zaddy. But I, yeah, yeah, I don't remember who you were discussing that with. Well, we talked about it with Sonny for sure, because part of the topic was ageism, and I was talking about the response that men and women get as they're getting older. And part of the fascination was that I'm being treated differently in a sexual and romantic perspective from women now that I'm in my 40s than I did in my teens, 20s, and 30s. So we did cover it with both Sonny and with Jason Green. And for all of those relationship-related episodes, we will also have those in the show notes at wellevator.com in the podcast section for you. Again, that's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. And since this is a frequently asked queries episode if you're curious about the zaddy origin, first of all, the definition of a zaddy is a man with swag who's attractive and also fashionable. And it's a little challenging to see exactly where the term came from. Ty Dolla Sign. Remember we were talking about this, Jason? I we do. We were, anal- we were, we were, yeah. An- yeah, Ty, shout out, shout out, Ty. But it looks like he made it popular, whereas it had been something that was used. Let's see. Well, there was also a contention that it also might be traced to Zayn Malik and... Right. Yeah. Who really knows? And it was in the Urban Dictionary since 2008 for anyone curious. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like really random things that... Like this one, I'm like, what the heck is this person wondering? It was a long query, which was, how can a dog turn, look into the darkness, and wonder if planets will come through for him? What? <laughs> I was like, is that like a quote from something? But I just looked it up. And it sounds poetic. It sounds like some shit I would say while I'm on a hallucinogenic <laughs> experience. That sounds like something that would come out of my mouth when I am on psilocybin, when I'm on mushrooms. That's a cosmic drug-fueled question. Yes, wow. for sure. Will you say it one more time? Because I'm still trying to grasp it. And this is verbatim as typed into Google. How can a dog turn, look into the darkness, and wonder of planets will come through for him? I'm. (laughs) I feel like I need to be on a psychedelic medicine to even understand that question. It's not even. Is it a question or is it a statement? It is a question. Good God. I get. I know. It's actually, for me, what comes up is like, weird books that I've read, like A Wrinkle in Time for some reason. And also 
there was a movie or a book that was turned into a movie that Jennifer Conley was in it. And was it Darren Aronofsky that made it? It was based on a book. It was like a really... I'm going to look this up right now. Well, Requiem for a Dream. Well, not... It wasn't That's Requiem. That's not Requiem. That was a dark movie. Whew. Yeah. Great movie. But uh, what was this? I'm going to look back right now. I'm pretty sure it was Jennifer Conley that was in this. It was one of those movies that I did not understand. I'm like, what is going on here? But it was based on like a famous book. I thought she was in it. Maybe not. But it was one of those things where it was really difficult to follow the plot is what you're saying? Like to try and logically figure it out? Yeah, it wasn't a movie that you could watch logically. And I'm, now I'm thinking, was it Darren Aronofsky? I'm looking, I'm going down the IMDb rabbit hole right now. Well, you know, one of those movies I that I feel has, has the potential to be a little bit mind-blowing Oh, it was The Fountain. That's what I was thinking of. Isn't that based on a book? Oh, that was with Hugh Jackman and Rachel Weisz. Yes. Yep. Jennifer Conley-ish. You can see what I thought, but I was right about Darren Aronofsky. I never saw that movie, but I have heard that the spiritual, time-bending, religious allegories and symbolism is pretty cool. And that's what I heard it is, is that it's, it's sort of like a religious, spiritual allegory. Yeah. And you know what? I don't think it was based on a book. For some reason, I thought it was. But yeah, the plot is a man travels through time on a quest for immortality and to save the woman he loves. He's searching for the fountain of youth. Ooh, this is actually, I want to go back and watch it. I feel like this came out in 2006 and I was nowhere near as mentally aware, conscious as I am today. So it'd be interesting to go back and watch that one. Yeah, I was going to say that also the movie that's coming out, well, it's supposed to be coming out in July of this year, 2021, we're recording this, is Tenet, Christopher Nolan's new movie, which you know I'm hyped. I'm hyped about. Yeah. Did you say it was 2021? No, I said 2020. Okay. Are yeah. you sure? I swear I heard you say 2020. No, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He has, I believe, between Memento, between Inception, and now this, yes. that there's sort of a thematic or interpretational thread through with those three films. Of it's, I personally think watching them once, you don't pick up all of the nuance and subtlety and symbolism. And that's one thing I love about those particular Chris Nolan movies, and I'm looking forward to Tenet, because you have to really pay attention. It's not one of those movies you can check out Right. You like, and when I say check out, I mean like, you know, not be present. Like you really, and that's one, one of the things I love about it is you get so ensconced in the environment because of the intricacy and subtlety and layers of the storytelling. So if there's one movie I'm hyped for this year, because we haven't had theaters open, it's that one. So I'm hoping by July it'll be in the theaters because it looks so, so cool. And one more movie reference, which is somehow a developing theme for us today. And actually, it kind of comes full circle. And it leads me to something interesting we can touch upon for a moment. In terms of weird movies that were hard to follow, that felt like they had some big spiritual life message in them that you and I saw together, Jason, I think. I'm almost positive we saw this together like right when we first started dating. It was called Cloud Atlas, didn't we? I, see that yes, together in the we theater? did. Cloud Atlas was... I loved Cloud Atlas. You did? I wanted to love it, but I remember I fell asleep and I feel like it was right when we first started dating and we had like traveled a lot, right? Am I right about this? Like there was, yes. it was like some long, exhausting period of time. Yes. And I just fell asleep. I couldn't follow the movie. I really wanted to like it. And also starred Tom Hanks, who we've already talked about in this episode. 
I really liked Cloud Atlas for a variety of reasons. And you only saw it that one time? No, I've seen it twice. I've seen it twice. Oh, that makes sense. So it was, again, one of those time-hopping, genre-bending, spiritually, thematically layered movies, which, yeah, I think there was a very heavy spiritual subtext about reincarnation and love and morality and ethics and not escaping your fate. I mean, there's a lot of layers, but I personally love those kind of movies when they are done in a way that forces you to think and reflect on your own values and beliefs and transpose those as a mirror to the movie. I think there are some movies that might try to be spiritual or try to be profound, but they're trying too hard. It's a little too much on the nose. So Mm. I really like that film. I really wanted to like it because Tom Tykwer directed it and he's done some of my favorite movies. Run Lola Run was a defining movie of my life as when I was on my filmmaking career. And also a phenomenal movie that he did that I feel like did not get a lot of attention. I'm I'm curious if you ever saw The Princess and the Warrior, Jason? I do not know it. That I remember being really good, but it also had a phenomenal soundtrack that I listened to a shit ton. And yeah, I'm curious if it's as good as I I thought it was. And also, you know, who co-directed that with him is the Wachowskis which are fascinating people too, because didn't they change gender? Yeah, they are transgender, yeah. sisters? Correct, correct. And there are, well, I don't know, probably substantiated rumors that the Matrix 4 is being worked on right now. Yeah, that's what it says. It says it's announced and it's scheduled for 2022. Which is interesting because, if I may, I don't want to go into a whole Matrix thing, but (laughs) everyone during COVID is referencing that. Like, did you take the red pill or the blue pill? Because we're all living in the Matrix. And is this a simulation? And will our reptilian overlords reset it to 2015? Like, the Matrix has become this kind of hype train for like the COVID and people being quote woke. It's just, it's being really played out. And they also wrote V for Vendetta, which has been brought up recently with Anon being out, which also connects me to something else I want to talk about. And none of this has anything to do with search queries, but see where we go when we get on these topics. With Tom Hanks, Jason, have you heard? About, I'm still trying to understand what exactly QAnon is. And I keep saying it comes up a lot recently. There's like COVID tie ins, and there's, I think, a little bit of Black Lives Matter connected here. And there's like this new thing I saw a few days ago about people claiming that Tom Hanks and Ellen and Oprah and Bill Gates and Bill Clinton and all those people are like on house arrest because they got caught for human trafficking. Have you heard these rumors? Yeah. And what are your thoughts on this? Oh boy, I need to take a... (sighs) Talk about this might get uncomfortable. (laughs) I need to take a deep breath. I feel like I want to be respectful talking about these things because this is definitely something that I I almost don't want to have an opinion on because it feels so extreme. But I'm sure we have some listeners that may be really into this stuff. So I don't want to I guess we just have to be clear that we're stating our opinions, but there's like a fear that we're going to offend somebody if we talk about it the wrong way. So I'm more curious what your thoughts are, Jason. What have you found? How did you come across this? Boy, I'm not even sure where to start. It's not necessarily about unpacking this, and I am by no means an expert at all in this. I just happen to have a few really close friends and colleagues and a lot more acquaintances that are posting a lot of videos and a lot of memes and a lot of dossiers and documents about the connection between a 
generations-long cabal, underground society of pedophiles and child traffickers and child pornographers and people involved in essentially every industry of life, from politics to big business to tech to the financial system. And the idea is that there is a satanic cabal of people in power and wealth and privilege and influence that our have been harvesting children around the world, not for work or necessarily sexual practices, although those have been purported as part of the reason. The largest reason is that they are torturing and murdering these children because there is a specific compound that is produced in a child's body that is in high concentrations. That's why apparently they purport they're harvesting children and torturing them and killing them. That as kids are tortured and there's a high amount of stress and anxiety on a child, there's a substance called adrenochrome that is secreted from their body that these people in the cabal are harvesting because it's supposed to be an immortality elixir. That's the whole idea of what this cabal is. And the people you mentioned have apparently been linked to it. There's a, a long, long list that people are claiming from, again, Hollywood to the financial system, to our federal government, to our just every aspect of culture and influence. QAnon is purportedly a white hat underground military organization that Donald Trump is tied to, that apparently Donald Trump has been coordinating and working with QAnon in this white hat military operation to infiltrate these underground bunkers, not only in America, but other parts of the world where these children are trafficked in these underground tunnels and these underground bunkers. And that's where most of the pedophilia and child trafficking ring happens is literally underground. So this white hat QAnon operation has been going around on the internet saying that all of these famous people and influential people are part of this satanic evil pedophilia ring. And they are being arrested and going to be put in military tribunals for crimes against humanity. That is the very short condensed version. I could go on and on about this, Whitney, but in my general understanding, that is what's happening on the planet and that COVID is a, quote, manufactured distraction from this and the Black Lives Matter and transgender movement is a, quote, distraction from all this. And a lot of the people that I know who are talking a lot about QAnon and the pedophilia ring and the military tribunals, they are to degrees of ferocity claiming that BLM and the transgender movement and COVID and the economic crisis are all manufactured distractions so that these people can escape judgment and imprisonment. That's the position I've seen. Well, first of all, I had no idea that you knew that much about this because that's far more than I knew. And gosh, talk about uncomfortable. I mean, the idea of all this is incredibly disturbing. And I really hope it's not true because I mean, it's interesting. I saw a post on Instagram and I was like, what do these people all have in common? Like, what are they talking about? So I went and tried to find it. And it's hard to find information. I didn't go down the rabbit hole. And I'm amazed, Jason, that you had that understanding of what some people are saying out there because I really wasn't able to easily find it. It really depends who you're being exposed to, I suppose. Because I, I saw this on Instagram from somebody we're following on our Wellevator account. And actually, when I saw that post, I thought about unfollowing this person because I thought this just seems so far out there. But there's always part of me that's like, well, what if it is true? Well, okay. So that's the thing right now, okay, is in this moment of human civilization where we have incredibly advanced digital technology in the hands of consumers, and can you even imagine on the level of government with deep fakes 
and video surveillance and people creating videos and creating photos with such a level of succinct technical proficiency that begging the question, do we know what's real? You know, we talked about this in our episode with Luke's story, a little bit about conspiracy theory, but more about universal truth versus subjective truth. And we've talked about this on several episodes, Whitney, and how difficult it is in this moment to really discern what's real, especially with the ability to manipulate technology and visuals as we do. I mean, I remember back in the 90s when Photoshop was pretty crappy and video editing wasn't that good yet. You know, you could spot a fake. Things are so incredibly advanced now that misinformation, disinformation is so rampant that is this plausible? Is it possible? Sure. Do we know it's absolutely real? Mm, I'm going to say no. And that that's the troubling part is there's a lot of people on both sides of this wit from the people who are in the camp of looking at the satanic pedophilia ring and basically toppling the people in power with this cabal to the people saying, oh, COVID is real. COVID's not real. The people who are like, I have the truth. We've talked about this that are so cemented that they have the truth. I have to disengage with those people because we don't know what's true. There are probably are people on this planet that do know where COVID came from, right? I'm sure there are. There are probably people that know the exact reality behind the economic crash or whether or not this pedophilia ring is true. There are people that do know the quote truth on the planet. But for people on the internet, like I saw this document and I saw this video and it's the truth. It's like, it's a possibility. Mm -hmm. It's fascinating to me from a psychological standpoint because I found this article on USA Today that helped me understand this. And granted, (laughs) you're probably not going to be able to find anything super conscious, for lack of a better term, on a platform like USA Today. No offense to them, but they're kind of your mainstream media. And so it's very different than some other sources that might dig in and be a little less biased. So I was reading this article thinking, of course, they're going to say this isn't true. Although they did came across a little matter of fact, they're kind of just stating what people believe and where it came from, which I thought was interesting. So I can link to that article for anyone else curious about this. But one point that I really found fascinating in the USA Today article says the reason why QAnon devotees fixate on specific celebrities is they are thoroughly convinced that the only way you can sort of achieve that high degree of success is by doing something morally depraved. And that was quoted by a host of a a QAnon anonymous podcast. And I'm also confused. Is is that podcast pro QAnon? Is it part? I don't understand. But Travis View is the person that said that. And that to me was really fascinating because I thought there's been a lot circulating about Ellen over the past few months. And she's been in this cancel culture element where let's cancel Ellen. She's a horrible person. And a few people have spoke out against her. And then everyone wants to jump on the bandwagon. I remember feeling two emotions. One was, wow, I really hope that's not true because I I felt like Ellen is such a, a bright light. But I also, you know, admittedly had a moment of like, ooh, maybe it is true. And like, maybe we can bring her down from a level of being at that high status. And feeling that within myself is a reminder that a lot of people struggle with those emotions. When someone's put up on such a high pedestal, it's very common to feel envious of them and say like, ugh, like I don't want to like this person just because they're more successful than me. It's that place of envy. And so when we can find something that's bad about somebody it makes us feel good in a way, which is a really sad (laughs) reality of the human consciousness is when we 
We want to find something wrong with somebody who's successful simply so that we feel better about ourselves. And I wonder if some of this is rooted in that. And if you look at the people that they've been targeting with these statements, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, Bill Gates, like everybody, he's probably been one of the most criticized person, especially recently. And there's like all this blame and is he manipulating us? And there's like a combination of fear around Bill Gates and his power. Or there's like, let's tear him down. He's too wealthy. He's too powerful. Like, let's make sure that he's brought more down to our level or we can cancel him. And that way we don't have someone who's as successful and powerful as him. And then you look at Oprah, same thing can be said about her. So let's throw her in the mix. But I was also very confused. Why is Tom Hanks in there? You know, like this guy to me feels like the most innocent person and yet he's thrown into the mix. And I think that's why I was curious about all this because I can see why people might feel resentful of Bill Gates and Bill Clinton was in there. I can see why people would feel envious of Oprah and I can see why people might feel resentful of Ellen because of all the rumors that's been going around. So if we can collectively tear all these people down and show that they're really bad at the root and maybe they're only successful because they've been manipulative, I think there's a part of the human psychology that finds that very satisfying. But Tom Hanks, I don't understand. Yeah, it's been interesting to just see the the names that are kind of popping up in this conversation. And I think it brings up a larger question of, is it that certain people desire more of a socialist approach to society where there's not as stark of a hierarchy when it comes to power and financial wealth? Because I would agree with the sentiment that there's far too much power and wealth and leverage concentrated in the hands of too few, not just in this country, but the world. I mean, the the wealth inequality, the way we have it now is something that absolutely has to be addressed. It it can't continue where the amount of money and power that's being funneled to the 1% of the 1% versus the rest of the world. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit in terms of the wealth inequality in previous episodes, but I don't think that that's healthy for society when you have people literally starving and can't afford to shelter themselves. And you have people with hundreds of billions of dollars. But if we look historically at human society back to the ancient Sumerian kings and ancient Egypt and human civilization beyond tribal culture that has existed for thousands of years, there always has been some form of wealth, privilege, power, and dominance at the top of society. So, you know, our structure in America is nothing new. We've just been taking the archetype that has persisted from ancient civilizations and transposed it to modern day. You know, when the pharaohs and the kings had gold and cacao beans and women and power and cannons, and I mean, this is this is no different. I just think now we're in a state where there's obviously a lot more humans on the earth. We're approaching, what, 8 billion people on the planet and growing. And resources come into question, not just our natural resources, but money is a resource. It's an energetic resource. And do I think it's healthy for human society or the planet to have people walking around with hundreds of billions of dollars? I don't think so. First of all, it's not necessary. I mean, why does a human being need that amount? No human being needs that amount of money. It's not about necessity at that point. It's just about power and hoarding. But I wanted to comment on the Bill Gates thing really quickly, Whitney, because none of the people you mentioned have I had any alarms go off of concern. But as I've personally researched Bill Gates' history and what he's funded and a lot of the medical experiments that he's directly funded with the CDC and the WHO and 
the mortality rate of African children and the sterilization rate of Indian women that he's experimented on and funded, it's extremely concerning the agenda that I perceive he's pushing, which is if you look back at his father and his father being a staunch eugenicist and funding a lot of these things and Bill Gates funneling tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars into the vaccines and sterilization and birth control and population control, I am concerned about his agenda, whatever that is, be based on the facts I've seen of what he's done with his medical experiments that he's funded. It's, it's extremely concerning to me. Whew. This is a heavy subject matter. We started off laughing and bringing up all of the <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny because I, I mean, as usual, had no idea wh where this episode was going to go, but this is certainly not a route that I plan to go down. And thank you to the listener if you're still with us. Well, obviously you are if you're hearing us say this, but for our dear listener, thank you for going on this journey with us as usual. And I think it's a wonderful thing when you are willing to go through the uncomfortable elements and conversations that we have and look at life because these things are uncomfortable for us to talk about as well sometimes. And we talk about them because we feel like there's a huge benefit in kind of airing out our feelings. In fact, a lot of the research that I've been doing recently around well-being centers around how we can't run away from negative things. It'll always chase us. And if we just simply acknowledge dark emotions and we kind of tap into our shadow side and look at these elements of life, that's actually incredibly important. I mean, we've certainly seen this with Black Lives Matter, where it's requiring us to examine our past behavior. It's requiring us to look at our society and our role in it. And to question things. And I think actually that's the part of this conversation is specifically around like QAnon. And as you're talking about Bill Gates is it is important to question these people. And if we can do it from a place of genuine curiosity and concern versus envy, jealousy, resentment, those emotions I was talking about, we can learn a lot from that. Instead of just accepting things as they are, we can wonder about them. We can challenge them. We can have discussions about them at the very least. And then we can start to research them to grow our awareness. And I think there's a lot of danger in A, looking through life with rose-colored glasses or ignoring some of the dark things that are happening simply because they are uncomfortable to address. And <laughs> man, this has been a challenging episode, as was a few episodes back, to interweave <laughs> our brand partner today. And, and as we want to remind you of the listener that Jason and I are really centered in transparency. And we acknowledge this a few episodes back, but I'll say it again in case you are new to our show or you didn't listen to that episode where as we grow this show, we are working with more and more brands. And one thing that we do from time to time is have sponsored episodes. Other times we weave in our affiliate partners, whether it's organically part of the conversation or in this case, as in this very moment, I'm just going to be very blunt about it because I don't know how to weave this into this conversation. <laughs> I know how to weave it. Oh, let's hear it. Let's yeah. hear it, Jason. So from a personal standpoint... I have had to limit the amount of information I'm taking on a daily basis. And I've, I've been doing that more successfully recently during 
this very strange and unusual and challenging time. The first, I'd say, two and a half months of quarantine and, and lockdown and the, the BLM marches, just consuming a ton of content. And I found that the more conspiratorial, dark information I was taking in, I was not sleeping well and I was feeling really stressed out and feeling a lot of tension physically manifesting in my body from the tightening of my muscles to gut issues. I just noticed that during this time, reading too many news reports, consuming too much social media and leaning into, again, the more conspiratorial, darker elements of what may or may not be behind all this. I found it was affecting me on not just a mental health level, okay, but also a physical health level. And for me, the idea of relaxation and upping my meditation game and taking more CBD and using tools to de-stress and unwind while I'm removing myself from the consumption of information has been part of my self-care routine out of sheer necessity, Whitney, to stay sane and stay okay in the midst of all this. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad that you brought that up because information overload can feel incredibly stressful. And I was actually having a coaching consultation with somebody recently. And she said that was one of the things that was such a big hindrance for her because she was trying to develop a better routine. And one of the obstacles she was overcoming was trying to not get stressed out about information and also to go to bed earlier. So the tie-in here is our friends over at Rapid Release who make our favorite personal massage product. <laughs> and, and not in the sense of uh, what we were talking about towards the beginning of the episode. Yeah, it's not masturbatory, everyone. <laughs> we just, I'll just sit and be blunt. A lot of these products could be multi-purpose, to be frank. This one's a little too powerful. Yeah, this one you don't want to use in, that, in your you nether would, regions. You, know, you, would, you would have to have a clitoris of steel. <laughs> Clitoris of steel. <laughs> oh, man. The, the people over at Rapid Release are horrified. But you know what? In all transparency, <laughs> hopefully we don't lose our affiliate relationship with them. But since they're not a sponsor, we can kind of position this however we want. And part of how we talk is to be very frank and open and, and get uncomfortable with you. So <laughs> welcome to This Might Get Uncomfortable. But the other thing that's interesting and a tie-in that didn't occur to me to just now, Jason, is actually the first time I learned about Pizzagate was during the Longevity Now conference, which was also the first time I learned about rapid release. And the person, I should say, that was talking to me and Jason about Pizzagate, and we're not going to get into that. We kind of already have, but if you know what it is, great. If you don't know what it is, you're welcome to go Google it. But Pizzagate's another one of those disturbing things and very tied into what we were just discussing. And he was using the Hypervolt, which is a percussionary massage tool. And shortly after I tried that for the first time, I was introduced to Rapid Release at the conference and their tools are vibration therapy and so there's a big difference between the two of them and how they affect your body. And I think that's one of the things that makes rapid release a very unique tool. It's designed to be very precise and release pain and tension in the body with short strokes versus I think like most of the other tools out there are percussion based, which means they have very long strokes and they might not affect your body in quite the same way. And that's part of the reason rapid release is a product I really love and why it's trusted by a lot of different medical professionals. A lot of chiropractors use it, massage therapists use it, people in their body care practices use this device. And 
it's pretty impressive for that reason. Actually, I'm going on their website right now because I, I still feel a little unclear about the difference between vibration versus percussion. So percussion devices, here's a little history lesson for you. Those have been around since the early 1900s. I had no idea. What? According to the Rapid Release website, they're slow speed with a long stroke, as I said, and they work on large muscle groups, but they're not very great with muscle insertion points and tender areas. And they also run very slow versus rapid release when they use the vibration therapy. They use those very tiny strokes and they go much faster, actually about three times faster than the average percussion device. They're very fine-tuned so they can get into your tender areas in a different way and also be a little bit more healing. And what's also neat is that one of the rapid release devices has a heat feature on it. So that's also really, really nice for soothing your muscles. So this is the reason we have become very passionate about them. We have a discount code and a link. So if you go to the show notes at wellevator.com, you can check out Rapid Release for yourself. You might really need to after listening to some of these hardcore episodes and the topics that we've been addressing recently. And our discount code for them is WELLBEING, W-E-L-L-B-E-I-N-G. And you'll get a a little discount on there plus free shipping. And they have a great warranty as well. So you can have that for a long time and, and trust that it'll last many years. And as we talked about in another episode, it's a big investment. It is a pricier product. But with a long warranty, you're kind of assured that you're going to have a lot of self-care and healing for your body. And it can actually be a savings if you're somebody that gets a lot of massages and body work in general from a practitioner, which can average around $100 a session. So over time, it actually might make more financial sense for you to have a device at home. Yeah, it's a mirror. As I mentioned in the previous episode, a lot of people will send me DMs or emails about what kind of kitchen equipment being that I focused on chefing and recipes and nutrition in the wellness sphere for so long. And whenever I refer something like a, a Blendtec that Whitney and I are huge fans of, we've, we've used them for years. I've used Blendtec my entire career. Actually, we might as well spin this into a Blendtec pitch too. Hey, hell, why not? <laughs> well, we do love Blendtec. I we mean, love Blendtec. Yeah, hell yeah. We definitely didn't intend on talking about this, but this is what I was saying earlier that when we work with brands, we weave them in as often as we can into our conversations. Sometimes they're a little bit more blatant, like rapid release. But I love that you bring up Blendtec because it's a very comparable product in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And it's one of those things, too, that when I have a tremendous experience with a brand, and this is a, a, maybe a cool thing that we can talk about, Whitney, because I feel you're the same way with specific brands, is that it's not necessarily just about the brand image and I feel like there's a part of human psychology where where we like to identify our sense of self with the brand values of the things we love, right? Like if I wear this certain type of footwear or drive this certain car, have this certain computer, you know, it reflects something about my personality to other people. I mean, this is why brand differentiation exists. But I think beyond that, when I have a tremendous experience with a brand, I'm brand loyal probably for life. And, and here's just two random examples. I've used Blendtec ever since... I graduated culinary school nearly 15 years ago. That's it. I had my first experience in culinary school in my 20s. It was awesome, and I've used it ever since. I feel the same way with certain car brands. I feel the same way with the mattresses Whitney and I have, which is this great Canadian company called Essentia. 
there's a thing you have. I remember when I first switched to Apple, Whitney, I was a PC guy forever. And then also 15 years ago, 16 years ago, I got my first MacBook and I was like, oh, I'm done. Like the user experience and the technical support and just the tactile interaction with a thing. For me, it goes back to my philosophy I learned from my mom, which we didn't grow up with a lot of money. We kind of struggled a lot when we were growing up. But my mom always instilled this value in me of if you can go a little bit beyond your means and invest in something of quality that's going to last you for decades, first of all, it's more eco-friendly. Second of all, maybe you stretched a little bit, but you're going to save money later by buying that thing of quality. So I feel like with most of my purchasing decisions, I'm always looking for the highest quality product, even if it's going to cost me a little bit more, because I know it's going to last me for a long, long time. I couldn't agree more. And Jason and I part of the reason we are such good friends is because we have a lot in common and we usually agree upon brands. I'm trying to think, is there an example of something like competitors that we're like on either side of? Like, obviously we both love Blendtec. So, but if like, what if I was a Vitamix user and you were a Blendtec? It's so funny. Well, depending on what electric car I end up getting, we might be on opposite sides of that because I you know that I'm a huge fan of Tesla from all the years of you having it our, our, and two of our good friends, Michael and Whitney, you know, having enjoyed their cars over the Michael years. Michael and Ari or Ellie. And Ellie and, and Ari, yeah. They, having experienced a lot of different versions of their cars, I haven't sat in a Model Y yet, but I've driven a 3, uh, an S and an X. They're phenomenal creations, right? But I haven't had an ownership experience enough to be able to comment on that. But it could be that I end up getting, you know, a, a Mustang Mach-E or the new Volvo Polestar. Or, I mean, there's, in the next two to three years, there's a ton of great electric cars coming out. So am I 100% sold on a Tesla? Mm, I mean, maybe the new S version is 402 miles per charge, Whitney. I, I know I sent that to you and I was like, damn, like this is a game changer. I messaged Whitney that the new updated version of the Model S, the flagship sedan for Tesla, you could drive from LA to the Grand Canyon and still have miles left on the charge. It's incredible. It is incredible. And I mean, it does depend on a variety of different factors. But Tesla reminds me a lot of Apple, not just in terms of their founders. I really admired Steve Jobs, despite any of his shortcomings, because he certainly had them. But in general, I just thought he was such a brilliant man and he really shaped a lot of technology. And when they came out with the iPhone, there was nothing like it. And then Android started making their own versions or um, the Android software, I guess, like all the Samsung and now Google has their devices and all, there's so many competitors to the iPhone. But the iPhone was the originator. And what's been interesting is all these years, people say like, this phone is better than the iPhone. But then Apple comes out with a new version of the iPhone and it's wonderful. And it's just kind of this back and forth, like who's going to have the better phone at the current time. And I feel a lot of the same way with Tesla. You could say the same thing with Blendtec versus Vitamix. It's like they're always just trying to outdo each other. <laughs> and the thing I really like about Tesla for now, at least this could possibly change. But aside from thinking that Elon Musk is just such a fascinating human being and always doing something interesting, I love that Tesla is constantly evolving and this is one of the huge benefits. So for you, Jason, and for anyone else listening, if you are thinking of getting an electric car, it certainly doesn't have to be a Tesla, even though they're trying to make them more affordable. The thing that I love the most about my Model 3 is that the updates continuously make the car better. And so 
If you're going to get an electric car, I highly recommend getting one that is similar in that sense. And and I don't know what Ford will do, Porsche, who else, Jay? Like some of the bigger, nicer. Yeah, BMW, Volkswagen. I mean, really in the next two to three years between, say, 20, between now and 2022, Wit, there's a ton coming out. Just an unbelievable amount. But I'm talking about like the very tech related. I mean, Ford to me is probably Ford and maybe Porsche have the higher chance of competing with Tesla's tech because before I had a Tesla, I had the Fiat 500e, which is a fully electric Fiat, but it like doesn't really have any technology. It's gotten better over time. But I'm saying the big difference is that with the Tesla, they create these updates. So your car is improving versus a lot of other cars that you buy, you're stuck with what you get. They don't update the software. And I think that's a brilliant element of it. And, and similar to an iPhone, the iPhone's a little bit different in this or, you know, Mac products in general, the software can certainly improve, but the hardware will always stay the same. And while that is true with the Tesla, the software changes are so remarkable. And they've built in some hardware in the cars that have not been activated yet. Like there's a camera in the Model 3 that still doesn't have a function. And I'm trying to think what else. They increased the battery range of the car at one point by a little bit. And so it was like the potential of the car has not been fully realized. And I love that about it. And so that way I feel like it's always getting better and better. And Jason, to you, but anyone else who's been thinking about getting an electric car, like really do your research on that. And with Tesla, you don't have to do that much research because they're so obsessed with doing a great job all the time. You know, if you get a Tesla, you'll probably be very satisfied. I will say, though, I've met a few people that don't like Tesla very much. And I'm, I'm they like got the car and they're like, I hate it. And I'm like, I can't believe you could hate this car. Well, as an enthusiast, this is, again, very tangential. I love the sound of cars. And I've always endeavored with probably the last 21 years of cars that I bought, that there was something unique about the sonic profile. How did the car sound? You know, what kind of exhaust sound did it make? And that's always been a huge thing for me is if I'm driving my car all day long, I want to enjoy how it sounds, you know, cruising under acceleration. So the one thing that I've always kind of taken umbrage with, with electric cars is they're kind of like, you know, they sound just kind of like this warp speed thing, which isn't that sexy to me. But there's a company in the UK, I think I sent you a video a month or two ago, Whitney, that is actually creating a sound actuator inside and outside Tesla's now that from your smartphone, you can select different fake, they sound good though, exhaust noises from like a 67 Chevy and a 65 Mustang and a Viper. And like they have all of these audio tracks they've taken from actual cars that you can make your Tesla sound like. And there was one sound that I, I think it was supposed to be like a like a Ford five liter V8 or something like a really famous V8 engine. And they showed it on the Model 3. And I was like, that sounds actually pretty damn good. So I know that if I were to get one, I'd have to put like a sound actuator so that I would have that enjoyment because that to me is one of the most engaging and joyful parts of the driving experience is how the car sounds. Man, we got a quite the tangent here. And <laughs> as we do, <laughs> I'm so curious for people who listen to these episodes that don't really have a major point to them or, or just have a ton of mini small points. We certainly would love your feedback on episodes like this. And I, this is a great time for us to invite you, the listener, to be part of the conversation 
because even though this is our 88th episode, we're still evolving and we probably will always evolve. And we want to make sure that this is content that you love. And that's where this episode originally came from was us digging into the things that people like you are searching for online. And we would love any feedback. So if you have direct feedback from us besides your Google searches, which, you know, going back to Paul Jarvis and Phantom Analytics, part of his viewpoint is that it's a little creepy how much we can spy on people and track them. So one thing that I'm curious with Phantom Analytics is, and by the way, they're also we're also part of their affiliate program in full transparency to people listening. If you click on on their link in, in Wellevator, you'll be directed to Phantom Analytics. And if you enroll in it, we get a little commission from it as we do with Rapid Release, Blend Tech, Essentia, et cetera. Always want to be very upfront with you. That's part of our revenue model. And many podcasters do the same thing. Anyways, <laughs> Paul has talked a bunch about how the downside with Google Analytics is that it does a lot of tracking. And this episode may have opened up your eyes to realize that you are being tracked in a lot of ways. And it's not meant to scare you. Again, if you want to learn more about data privacy, we really encourage you to listen to the episode that we did with Paul because he has great perspective and points and research that he's done around that. But it's ultimately about raising your awareness. So just so you know, <laughs> when you do Google searches, those are being tracked and people like us can can find out what you're searching for, for better or for worse. And we certainly never want to come from a place of judgment. If we laugh at things, it's simply because we find them amusing, but not at your expense. And if you want to find another way to share your interest with us, we'd love to hear from you. So you can connect with us via email or social media or the comment section of our website. And the way to find us everywhere is to go to our website, which is wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We have blogs and free resources like PDFs and video series you can watch there. We also have the show notes section. So if you click in the podcast section of our website, it'll bring you to the show notes where you can find resources and references and everything, transcripts from our episodes that you can read if you'd like. All of that is in the podcast section and there's a comment area. So you can go on there and comment and and share with us your thoughts on anything we discuss. If you would rather do that through social media, you can find us at Wellevator, again, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. And we're there to connect with you on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, TikTok, even a lot of different platforms. And many of those have DM features, meaning you can directly message us. And did I mention, I did mention Facebook. Yes. So Facebook direct message, Instagram direct message. You can direct message to Twitter. Even most of these platforms, as I said, are a way that you can reach us publicly and privately. And lastly, the ultimate form of private messaging is through email. You can always reach out to us. We are hello at wellevator.com and we truly want to hear from you. We want to hear your feedback. We want to hear constructive criticism. We want to hear your questions, your topic requests. And one last place you can do that is through Patreon. So if you're looking for ways to support us beyond clicking on our affiliate links (laughs) and listening to our show and sharing it, writing reviews, there's a lot of different ways that you can show your support. If you want to show some more financial support, we would love for you to join our Patreon community. So if you go to patreon.com slash Wellevator, you'll find us. You can chip in just a few dollars a month. And that actually adds up a lot. We have purchased equipment thanks to Patreon. We have 
paid for services like Dropbox, which we use to send our our episodes to our editors. There's a lot of money that is required to have a podcast and to continue to improve it. So if that's something that you're interested in doing, we would love to have you there. Again, it's just a few dollars a month and we're always looking for ways to thank you, to show our appreciation. So we're, we're always kind of experimenting with different perks we can offer. And we'd love your feedback on that too. So in essence, we want to hear from you. We are grateful for you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to hear more and you haven't yet, you can subscribe to the show and be notified. And we have more episodes coming out. And until then, thank you for being part of this especially interesting journey that we've been on today. Whitney, in closing, may I request one more search term? Sure. Just as we go, because I I just want you to hit me with one more. I'm glad you asked because I I feel like we really should do this at the end of every episode, at least until someone says they hate it. (laughs) Actually, hopefully nobody hates it and hates such a strong word. But if we had like 20 people saying, I really don't like this Google search query thing you're doing, we would probably stop. Yeah. If you find it irksome. Yeah. (laughs) Let's take a few steps back from hate. Irksome. A number of people find it irksome because one person might find it irksome doesn't represent everybody. So this is why it's important for your voice to be heard. All right, Jason, I'm going to leave you with this one, which I felt like was a very Jason search term. Wait, more than face sitting in a glazed donut? More than that? I don't know if you can get more Jason than that, unless there are cats in the room too. Well, this is something that you can answer and I know exactly why we came up as a recommendation, but I thought this would be just a fun little thing for you to answer because I know you're going to have the answer right off the top of your head. Are you ready for this? Go for it. The query was, why did Luke Skywalker go into hiding? Oh, well, yeah, because basically what happened was he was training Kylo Ren. Spoiler alert. All right. Spoiler alert for any non-Star Wars fans. Between Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens, that 30-year period, Han Solo, Princess Leia, had a kid named Ben Solo, who was a Force-sensitive being. Luke Skywalker starts a new Jedi school. Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, is part of that school, along with some other students. Luke Skywalker senses that Snoke, the supreme leader, is having a psychological effect on Ben Solo and feels that he's turning to the dark side. One night, he decides to draw his lightsaber and thinks about killing Ben Solo. Ben Solo wakes up, blows up and destroys the entire Jedi temple. Luke takes the blame on himself and then goes into exile. See, I knew it. Look at you. You could have like a whole podcast just on Star Wars. I could, but you know what? There are some heavyweight, like hardcore fanatics, like way beyond my acumen. So I feel like I could, but I also bow down to the group of Star Wars fans that go to Star Wars Celebration every year, that dress up in costume. Like, I'm not on that level by any means. I know, but you got your own personal style, just like I've been encouraging you for years to do some like car YouTube channel or car podcast. I just, you know, if you ever want to do another podcast, Jason, you have a lot of topics you could cover with your knowledge and your passion. And I hope that by addressing Star Wars, we start to attract more Star Wars fans to listen to our show. One last question, Whitney. Yeah. Are there any wellness, health, mental health, emotional wellness, like anything that we try and center the topic matter, anchor the topic matter in this podcast? Are any of the search terms related to that? Because everything you've brought has been around drug rants about puppies in the universe. 
sexual questions and Star Wars. Do we have anything wellness related that people are searching for? A hundred percent. Oh, we do. Okay. I'm only picking the interesting outlier <laughs> queries. I'm not picking the like generic, like, tell me how to improve my life. Those are boring. We gotcha. talked about that anyways. Gotcha. I'm trying to address the really funny interesting or serious topics. And there's a lot more where that came from. So if the listener is enjoying this, well, regardless of whether or not you enjoy it, we're going to do it a number of times because I think Jason and I have a lot of love for this. And that's why we'll do it at the end of the episode. So if you don't like hearing us talk about these things, then next time you'll only, you can skip it over it very easily. So after we do our show wrap up, we'll have like a little bonus section at the end of future episodes. We'll test it out. We'll see how it goes. I certainly enjoy it. All life is an experiment. The more experiments you make, the better. And I believe that was Emerson who said that. So this is an experiment. Thanks for being with us on this experiment of This Might Get Uncomfortable. We appreciate your candor, your input, your feedback, your downloads, your subscribes. Whatever you want to say, however much love you want to give us, we gladly say yes and thank you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.